Hello, I'm Dave Feinlieb, and this is Beyond the Shelf. This show is an open exploration of the people and process behind e-commerce. Through conversations with innovators in the space, we learn the stories of these leaders and their strategies for e-commerce success. You can learn more about how we're helping leading brands and retailers build content at scale and take advantage of our free content health audit at itsrapid.ai. My guest on today's show is Paolo Baccarin, Customer Development Team Manager for Clubs at Colgate Palmolive. Paolo has a broad and extensive commercial and sales background across multiple channels, retail environments, functional areas, and geographies. Prior to his current role, Paolo was the e-commerce team leader for Toms of Maine, a subsidiary of Colgate Palmolive, and before that held roles in customer development and e-commerce management for Colgate in both the U.S. and Brazil. We discussed Paolo's experience working with a variety of different customers, his experience leading e-commerce teams, and his approach to working in global markets. Please enjoy my conversation with Paolo Baccarin. Paolo, great to see you. Hey, David. Great to see you, too. And thanks for having me in your podcast. I've been learning a lot by listening to some thought leaders like you. So I'm thrilled to chat with you today. Well, great to have you on the show. Would you take us back and tell us how you got your start in the space? I've been with Colgate for 15 years now. Uh, 11 of those, uh, it was in our Colgate Brazil subsidiary. And my E-commerce journey started eight years ago, so while I was still there uh, in Brazil. Uh, by then, I mean, that's 2016, so e-commerce, especially in Brazil, wasn't a big business, uh, but the global e-commerce team identified an opportunity. Uh, they saw an opportunity in the market for some aspects. Uh, there was pretty good smartphone penetration. Uh, people had access to broadband internet, uh, solid sales numbers across some uh, categories, not ours, but that showed potential for eventually growing uh, our categories in the space. And also some strong uh, players along with some emerging players in the space. So that was kind of the uh, channel uh, overview. One caveat there is that the channel is more diversified in Brazil. So uh, I think different from, from the US, which is more B2C focus and with a uh, consolidation with a few players. Brazil, it's more diversified and less concentrated. So I think one uh, example to give uh, the biggest chunk of our sales there was actually being done uh, on e-commerce B2B. So that these were wholesalers uh, that were selling to mom and pop stores uh, and uh, using e-commerce channels. Uh, to sell our products. So, so, so when you think about a variety of different channels there, it might not necessarily be the Amazons or the Walmarts or the, the, the big names. It, it might be literally kind of mini channels, if you will, within the market. Exactly. And with a, a pretty good balance of the sales across uh, drugstores doing online sales and grocery players doing uh, online sales, some regional players with a good presence with their marketplace uh, platform. So 
again, it was very diversified versus being just a handful of uh, players in one channel uh, driving it. But I bet kept it exciting and and interesting to uh, to work on. Yeah, of course. And I think so. Then back to uh, how I got there. That was the landscape. So global e-commerce sign opportunity and the subsidiary made a decision. Let's put someone dedicated there because we need some structure and to set up a go-to-market. They felt like my uh, experience, type of experience across different channels uh, would be a good fit. And they picked me. And it seems like a fairy tale. But back then, 2016, I wasn't very thrilled with the opportunity. So you look at the numbers, it was decimal cases. They seem small. Yeah. There weren't really like a lot of tools. We didn't have a content analytics in place for us to understand like what were the content uh, opportunities. Uh, we didn't have a playbook. So it was basically my experience seeing channels and customers, but needing to translate it to e-commerce. So I was hesitating a little bit, but uh, thought through, slept over, and two key things made me uh, say yes. So I think number one was a mentor. I had a great mentor, someone I look up to and that I trust. His name is Marcelo Andrade, and he encouraged me to go for it. Uh, you might learn. Uh, these are skills that will help you in the future and this will become a big business so guy was visionary trusted him and the second point i think just my personal uh profile i tend to be curious i'm comfortable taking risks so i bought into the company's vision that there there would be uh, a good opportunity for me so the rest of the history i fell in love with it uh, it's dynamic so many possibilities so being choiceful strategic uh kind of motivated me and here i am well, you seem like a natural, so uh, I'm glad it uh, I'm glad it all worked out. Now, you've had a lot of great experiences working with different customers in some of these different markets as well. What are your some of your your learnings or your takeaways from those experiences? I have I had a learning a day basically, uh, but I think just narrowing down. And I will use Amazon more as a framework because that's where I spend most of my focus over the last five years. And I would say like naming three of them. Uh, number one, I would say like an upside down go-to-market. So you see how brick and mortar usually works. You have a lot of your effort to launch a product in the preparation phase. So before you even go uh, to the shelf, you're doing customer meetings, innovation meetings, and you're going through line review processes and a lot of uh, long-time lead uh, or long-time planning uh, until you get to the business awards and you get the SKUs in or out and you get the confirmation on the number of stores that you're listing. And once it hits the shelf, you're executing the plan. So I would say that a lot of the effort, hard for me to quantify right now, but a lot of the effort, I think it's fair to say that it's before you launch the product. Once it hits the shelf, you're basically executing. And Amazon is the complete opposite you have a lot of things at your fingertips uh it's self-service it's frictionless to list a product to set up promotions and a lot of the other features to kind of uh get the product started but then once it hits the the shelf or the virtual shelf that's when the magic happens and it's a relentless effort to get your product to whatever your goal is it's page one top 10 top three 
uh, it's very dynamic uh, and it takes a lot of efforts again to play across the different levers and make sure that your product is succeeding and it's most of it after you, you launch the product. So I think that's that'll be the number one. It's a great insight. It's sort of turning the classic product launch strategy on its head, if you will, because you you still do some prep, of course, but really what you're getting at is you have all these these levers that you have at your disposal and you you have to use in some respects because the, the market is competitive that way. So so really I think it's a really unique insight. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that the two other ones, more like quicker ones, one is a different take to customer centricity. I think once you think about the uh, the way Amazon works, it's a lot on vendor central and uh, understanding the algorithms more than trying to uh, create engagement or a personal engagement with a buyer, for example. So it's just different. It's understanding the flywheel. It's having an understanding of uh, the variables of the uh, algorithm. Uh, so again, it's still, it requires you being people-centric, consumer-centric, but I think especially on the cus- uh, the customer-centricity, it's a different way. And finally, the third one, I would say a game of inches. Uh, Amazon, just you go to one product detail page and there are so many variables to manage there. you got to get a title that it's both algorithm friendly and also meaningful to the consumer. And then you have advertising spaces in the uh, PDP. So it's hard to get one lever that will drive a lot of uh, the impact. It's really a combination of them and being like a combination of these small inches making up your success. I love it. So kind of turning the, the classic model uh, upside down, this, uh, this focus on the, the algorithm in some respects, and then all the different tactics that you really have to be quite disciplined about. So, uh, yeah, these are really great, great takeaways. Well, tell us what you're up to, uh, up to today. What's your, your current role and, and, and what are you focused on? Sure. Uh, and I'm very excited with this one because, again, I think 2016, I, I referenced a big shift going to the e-commerce space. And almost eight years ago, uh, fast forward eight years, and now I'm going back to more of a brick and mortar focus, but now like Omni uh, type of uh, customer management. And I'm super excited with it. Uh, I'm managing uh, clubs and it's a different retail environment that I had never been exposed to. And what I'm loving about it is that, well, obviously there are some nuances, but there are also some consistencies versus what I've experienced uh, in e-commerce over the last few years. And to name the the nuance, I just mentioned Amazon being a game of inches. There are so many possibilities and it's self-service. You manage, you go to clubs and you have a very limited uh, assortment. Uh, you don't have quite as many tools to play uh, or levers to play. So it's more, uh, I would say, like a game of miles. It's making sure that you're very precise uh, with planning and execution uh, versus, again, Amazon. You have a lot more wiggle room to, to make errors, iterate, and uh, improve. So I think that's one of the nuances. But consistencies, uh, I would say, Clubs are not uh, alone in their attempt to accelerate their digital capabilities and digital business. So their uh, efforts to improve their retail media businesses or improving the e-com experience 
integrating uh, e-commerce app with the store uh, experience. So I think that that I can bring some of the learnings I had over the last eight years at Amazon to help make more efficient spending on retail media, for example, optimizing our product detail pages to have a more like a full funnel uh, experience that's meaningful to the uh, club members. So I think that that's what I'm very excited with. I do think it's really interesting time to be in this uh, in this omni-channel area. When it comes to club, let's say for somebody who has worked on uh, online only or has worked on another retail account, what would you say is kind of your your big learning or what what do they need to know going into club relative to some of the other areas they might have worked in? Uh, so I think the so for the club uh, customers, I think a learning and that they acknowledge is how to provide a retail media offer that's compelling to uh, their suppliers, right? Amazon set the the the, the bar really high uh, in terms of reporting and capabilities, customization. So I think there is acknowledgement on their side that yes, they're evolving. Yes, sales are growing double or triple digits, uh, but that they need to uh, elevate uh, their offering there with again reporting and uh, capabilities. And what I really like about it is their intent to have uh, suppliers helping them in, in this journey. So that's what I'm excited uh, with. Now, outside of Club, you've got this incredibly unique global perspective that you bring to your work at, at Colgate. But I think also more, more broadly, what are some of your, your learnings or your takeaways from your, your time spent in, uh, in Brazil and, and uh, Latin America in general? I was definitely surprised with some of the areas that they were more developed here, um, very transparent, transparently with the team here. We had a more robust team. We had more tools. We had content analytics again. And I remember like my first few weeks walking through the content analytics. You got the, the scorecards. Yeah, and how we needed to get above 90%. So, I mean, there were definitely areas of advancement. But on the other hand, there were a lot of similarities. Uh, right. So it's not, uh, I, again, I, I think I had the bias that the neighbor's grass is greener, but I got here and there were a lot of like confusion still with how do we uh, go about rating, uh, uh, roles and responsibilities uh, across the teams and how do we design an e-commerce portfolio that's future proof so that you can feed the flywheel uh, on it. So again, it was Kind of a pleasant surprise that there were a lot of like basics to hit and that will be part of uh, the journey to accelerate it. But yeah, that, I think that was a surprising, but eventually I think understanding that it, it made clear to me that more than like, especially in this space that was new, more than expecting leadership to say, this is what we need to do. This is the playbook. It required people across the different levels and functions to step up and take ownership and figure out how to win the space. So that's what uh, has been exciting. Let me let me flip that uh, that question around, if you don't mind. So for somebody who is new to a global market coming from the US, what are kind of rules of the road or what uh, learnings could you share or guidance could you share for thinking about those markets coming from uh, this perspective? 
Good question. I think my learning when I especially started working with Amazon here was, again, understanding a little bit of the market, a lot about the algorithm. So understanding the, the, the playing field. I think for people going from here, there, I think it's the same understanding of there is not a playbook from here that can be just copy pasted there. Uh, you go to Latin America, for example, a lot of the players that were successful they did so by understanding the supply chain aspects of the markets. I can say Brazil, it's a very complicated market that global players have struggled to be successful there. It took Amazon many, many years just operating on a marketplace until they made the decision to be to go 1P because again, understanding that is a complicated market. So I think for same thing for professionals going there is yes, bring best practices, the fundamentals, but uh, there are nuances to executing. And I'm saying Amazon, you go to other players like in the uh, quick commerce space who had Rappi with very unique uh, capabilities and how they were offering an all-in-one app to engage users because uh, these were services that were meaningful to the audience there. So uh, I think, again, it's keeping an open mind while uh, seeking also to the fundamentals that might work on e-commerce. How, uh, how do you think about kind of uh, the level of maturity, let's say, on retail media in a market like Brazil uh, relative to, you know, what you're seeing here with some of the retailers in the U.S.? I think good question. Uh, I think to, to simplify, I think set aside Amazon, Walmart, maybe Target. Uh, I think if we exclude these three, especially Amazon, uh, I wouldn't say it's significantly different. I think everyone, again, it's establishing their retail media networks, uh, establishing the capabilities uh, and evolving. Uh, I, I would compare, I, I wouldn't say it's significantly different what we have there versus what we see in uh, other players, even in the U.S. space. Since you've kind of started your journey here in the U.S. with Colgate, you've had the opportunity to partner with a number of leading retailers, Amazon, as you mentioned, Walmart, Boxed, GoPuff, BJ's, many others. How do you think about all those those different channels? What are they what are they doing that's that's different? What's interesting? And you know, what's what's the latest and greatest? How are you seeing them evolve? Yeah, a lot to unpack. They've gone through different journeys. They're at different stages. Uh, so I think again, it would be one response to each player, but if I had to kind of summarize uh, what's the com or what's common across the board, there, I would say they're like relentless pursuit of making their e-commerce business sustainable, uh, right? And the e-commerce specifically, not the overall business, but the e-commerce business sustainable, uh, right? E-commerce it's a tough uh, channel to be to make it viable or for the economics to work. Many aspects related to that, but I think a key one is just the supply uh, supply chain piece and the costs associated with making a last mile deliveries. That makes it really hard. You build on top of it with being customer centric, and you want to provide the best prices or a competitive price. You want to have the promotions. You want to provide free delivery or low delivery uh, fees. People can return their products. So high costs with, again, a, a lot of these uh, things to make it customer-centric, uh, make it hard. So I think trying to remove a lot of the clutter of the analysis, I think 
it comes down to um, how they diversify maybe the business, uh, I would say, and not even like trying to predict the future, but just looking back how players like Amazon and Walmart or Amazon alone specifically made it successful. They uh, scaled AWS and advertising business that are more profitable, right? And that was connected with the retail platform that might not be as profitable, but that is a way that they were able to make it sustainable. So I think that's Amazon specifically. You bring the perspective of players like BJ's and Walmart that might have been more leveraging the scale of a brick and mortar business to build the digital capabilities and then feeding back the digital capabilities to make the brick and mortar business or the overall omni experience to their customers uh, more meaningful. Uh, so uh, that's what I've seen. But again, I think the common thread there is the, the pursuit of making it sustainable and it's uh, a really tough one. On that note, one area where we're seeing obviously some, uh, some very strong margins are in uh, retail media. And I'd love to hear about any recent content or retail media opportunities you've worked on with some of your your retailer partners and customers, how how those came about and and uh, what they uh, involve? Yeah, uh, so I'll go back to a, a point you were mentioning about people using mobile phones when they're in stores, right? So one specifically that I'm very excited uh, about and that I'm looking forward to having some tests out there is the idea of using e-commerce content to help people make the decision when they're on shelf or web rooming, right? So the behavior is there. You mentioned, and I've seen data from uh, Luminate and other sources that people are using their uh, phones when they're in store. Uh, and I'll be honest, in my categories, I'll say uh, oral care specifically is not an easy one to navigate. You get there, planning to get your teeth white and there are multiple ways, multiple price points and technologies and you have charcoal, uh, hydroxygen, peroxide and all sorts of things. And you're like, I just want to whiten my teeth. And then you have sensitive plus whitening and freshness plus whitening. Like, I just want to whiten my teeth. So, and, and there's limited uh, space there for uh, suppliers to provide the content people need to make the decision. So you have the packaging, not a lot of uh, shelf space. And in clubs specifically, you might have a little more room with trays, but still, like, it doesn't, it, it's still hard to show, like, what differentiates. So what I'm really excited about, like, testing and hopefully finding ways to make it seamless is people who are trying to get a little more information to make the decision uh, to do it uh, using technology while they're on shelf. It's not overwhelming with information, but just building upon the consideration to provide the right amount of information for them to make a decision. So that's one content specifically related that, that I'm excited and hoping that I can get something done. I love it. Well, we've, so we've got some, some content opportunities, which I think are very positive the way you're, you're looking at them. So I'm, I'm equally excited about that. The other area we're seeing in the market, of course, that is seeing a lot of investment is retail media, which continues to grow. How are you seeing brands approach their investment in retail media and the fact that they have multiple channels now that they need to be be thinking about? We are seeing it becoming more competitive and retailers doubling down because it's a 
revenue stream for them. Uh, so dollars are moving there, even like from a national media perspective, dollars flowing from uh, social media platforms or Google and other places there because again, you get good reporting, you get uh, good performance and it makes sense. What I think not necessarily related to social media, but that I've seen some brands being successful at is the combination of uh, retail media in the same kind of strategy with their off-platform media. So uh, rather than necessarily just building a brand on, on a retail media platform is how you build audiences and you build your brands in channels like social. And then when it gets to Amazon, it's more like you just need to defend your territory because people are searching your brand. So your advertising is more focused on one type of campaign versus trying every single one to be successful. So I think that's one that that, that uh, caught my attention and that I'm uh, excited with, how you can, again, take a more holistic approach and retail media playing a factor in a, a broad uh, strategy. And then in terms of uh, growth and uh, growth approaches that you're seeing working with the retailers, obviously a lot of competition when it comes to, to e-commerce and search and, and, and so on. What are some of the, uh, the approaches that you're seeing really work that are, that are unique and, and different today? Yeah. Uh, and I'll try to answer this one with a kind of a transition uh, from, again, the Amazon world to, to clubs world. And I think it's being focused uh, with your portfolio, making sure that it addresses key consumer need states, right? And to see uh, to give an idea of how it uh, differentiates on one versus the other, because it will change drastically, right? From there, the way you execute, again, understanding the customer customer centricity piece there, the way you execute will change dramatic, uh, dramatically. Uh, so I think, but the, the basics is you need to identify what are the need states. If your portfolio has a right to play, there, so if there is an intersection and how you execute and bring into Amazon specifically one kind of like excelling on the basics practice that I've seen working and I've had success uh, doing it with Tones of Main, for example, was identifying audiences and keywords where, again, you have a right to play, but then rather than using it across multiple SKUs, being focused on what are the SKUs, your key guns to play in these spaces. What is the specific async that will get you to win for that keyword, for that audience? Because that will, one, feed the flywheel uh, on, on these uh, products from both a paid search and, or a paid perspective on organic. Tell me, um, if you would, when you talk about this right to play in a in a space, what expand on that? What does that mean when you uh, when you mention that? We have Colgate, for example, has different brands that we play in a same category, and I'll give you an, one example: charcoal toothpaste is one territory. Colgate, Tom's, and Hello—they all have a charcoal offer. But what is the product? that will offer the best uh, performance in that keyword. So which one should have the right to play and the right to, to get most of, of the investment? 
or even areas uh, you have a uh, natural toothpaste should you be playing in the overall toothpaste which is highly competitive so the right to play is more where it makes sense for a product or even a brand to play or whether you should go more lower funnel it's a really interesting uh interesting insight well no conversation in this space seems to be complete these days without some mention of uh of generative ai and, and ai more generally i'd love to hear about if and how AI is coming up in your conversations with the customer and, and how you're thinking about that. Yeah, that, that, that's a good topic. And I'll stick to Gen AI uh, more specifically. I've been learning uh, about it. And more specifically, what I like, well, there are two things. One, the potential it has to process large amount of data. Uh, that previously might have been impossible. But the other one is like the capability to process unstructured data. So you bring it to an Amazon world. How do you interpret and you act upon ratings and reviews that you have some cases we have like 50,000, 60,000 reviews, right? So doing it with a classic approach might be hard and you can just sort through uh, manually. So Leveraging Gen AI uh, uh, gives us uh, the edge to get information and how we can do that. But uh, the the other thing that I think it's pretty amazing from that aspect of processing a lot of data, large amounts, and unstructured data is then how do you make insights uh, more easily available across the organization? You might have good dashboards, and if you're uh, uh, king on analytics, you are interpreting a lot of KPIs to get to the answer of a business question, but that might be a handful of people in a team and not a lot of departments might be able to use. And I mean, ratings and reviews can be used across supply chain teams managing packaging or brand teams managing the formula or the content. So it should be more broadly available. So what I'm really uh, interested in is Gen AI's capability to make it more conversational. Again, I don't need a training. I don't need to bookmark a dashboard to get you uh, the business answer, making it more of a asking the question and you might get the response. I think that's one. And the other one, the ability to learn from the questions uh, so that it improves uh, the answers and insights provided. So very high level uh, ideas, but I'm super excited to learn more and see how I can integrate into my own work. Yeah, really interesting. I love this idea of being able to make the the data and the insights more accessible. Well, looking ahead to the next uh, 12, 24 months and beyond, what have you got your eye on? What are some of the uh, key challenges and, and opportunities that you're you're thinking about? It's kind of a JVP season prepping for 2024. So one that I'm excited with is there is a lot of conversation with uh, customers regarding the retail media budget. And the way I'm trying to approach it is like how to make it effective from a budget planning and execution perspective with the overall customer plan. It can be that separate team with a separate PL that you're engaging with and that doesn't really connect. So engaging the teams in the customer side, that it's a single bucket of money and I'm going to shift the way uh, where performance goes. And first, I'll have to see the performance. Uh, so reporting is important. And second is 
more funds will come here if we're seeing the performance. So uh, I think that's one big area of focus for me. And the other one, more of the uh, new news in the space is on the Gen AI space. I, I want to continue learning and not just learning, but like what can I do in my work to make it more efficient and help me uh, achieve my, my goals, make impact in the business. So I'm really excited with it. That's great. Well, I'd love to ask you a couple of quick questions before we wrap up that I uh, I like to ask all of our guests, the first of which is, which two people, and I know it's hard to pick just two, have inspired you the most in your professional life? I'll have a chewing one and my parents, I think, more than the personal inspiration. I got a lot of professional inspiration from them. And I think the the key one is how they worked as a team. Uh, they're different people, but going back to my idea of the, the KPIs ownership, and they had a clear goal, I think, uh, as a family, as professional uh, professionals. And the other piece was clear communication. Uh, so uh, I think they, they were a, a great duo. Having clarity of what was work-life balance, uh, when would we be able to or open to moving to uh, achieve one's goal versus the other? Who should be taking the front seat versus back seat? Both were working, and I, I again I, I don't take inspiration only personally, but even as I'm managing teams, as I'm working in teams, I think the way again they they manage the common goals and communication were great source of inspiration to me. So I think, again, as a team and as individuals, I think uh, the way my dad was, like a lot of his achievements was by being a leader, like inspiring people and having people buy into uh, his ideas and the way he approached people with kindness and like interacting with these people. It, it really touched me when they were like, hey, the way the, the differentiator that your dad brings to the table is again the his leadership it's not just his hard skills it's his attributes so something i look up to and my mom's attention to the details and supporting uh my dad all the way uh so i think yeah they're they the 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 duo there that i i got the professional inspiration from favorite hobbies where you like to spend your time in the kitchen, I love to cook, uh, so it's cooking for a few reasons. Number one, I'm a foodie. When I travel, I think the first thing I go on TripAdvisor is restaurants. I want to hit the restaurants, and that's my plan. And I make five meals a day just so that I can go to, to places. So yeah, food is a uh, uh, a powerful uh, thing for me, I, and liking it. It's also nice to know how to prepare and make it the way uh, I like it. So that's one. Second one, food gathers people, right? So I love having family and friends around me. The more, the merrier. And I see food, especially when they're good, as a good way to have people uh, around you. And I think just a sense of accomplishment and purpose. Uh, I'm really driven for that. I do things expecting some sort of impact so it's very rewarding when you prepare something and you get a sense of joy because i think food brings joy and again when you get the, the positive feedback it just uh uh excites me so yeah definitely food cooking 
So wonderful. Now, if you had to pick a dish to make for your family and friends, a favorite dish, what what would that be? Risotto. Uh, that's been my, my go-to when I need to impress someone or when I need to like make sure that I'm doing the right thing. I like risotto with uh, leeks and uh, hearts of palm. I think that's my specialty. So that's my go-to. Sounds amazing. If people want to get in touch with you online, what's the best way for them to find you? Sure. That'll be LinkedIn. I'm not the most active content producer, but I consume a lot of uh, content there and always always keep an eye and connect with folks uh, there. So, yeah. Paolo, it was great talking with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Dave. It's been great talking to you and thanks for having me uh, and helping other folks in this space to learn and improve their capabilities. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at itsrapid.ai where you can find out more about how we're helping leading brands like PepsiCo save thousands of hours a year when it comes to retail media and digital shelf content creation. And don't forget to subscribe to hear more great episodes of Beyond the Shelf. See you next time.